And again, in the early 80s, when I really heard this taught for the first time, really, really well, really simple, he said, you got to understand that, again, John is writing to Christians, to what he calls his children, his little children. And he's writing in the first four verses of chapter 1 there that we might have fellowship. After he not only declares what they have looked upon, what they have handled concerning the word of life, Jesus Christ, the word of life. He must have had this in mind when he was in the upper room. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It is in a singular tense present, past, and future. Does that make sense? I am. Exodus chapter 3. The way, the truth, and the life. And then he makes an astounding statement. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. And so we can see this declaration that these men have seen and been with this one who is not only the word of life, he's life himself. And then he ends that first uh, introduction by saying, you know what? We have fellowship with this one. This one desires to have fellowship with us. And he says, we write these things, verse 4, that your joy may be dull. You know what? This letter is a tension getter. Okay? And it, 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 it is a tension getter from a couple standpoints. But one I'll just propose to you. Uh, God loves us. And he wants to have fellowship with us. That still amazes me. You know, sometimes we seem to think that, well, why, well, why have fellowship with God when I get around to it? You know, I'll pray when I get around to it. I, I'm so busy. When I get around to it, I'll fit God in my life. And that is most of... Uh, people out there that, that claim to be Christians. They, you know, and it's not hard. Just look around you. You know, I will fit God in my life on Sunday morning if I can make it. I will fit God in my life on Sunday or Wednesday nights if I can make it. Or I will fit God in my life when I get around to praying. This morning, I just got up too late and I just didn't have time for it. And I'm not saying that men ought to club themselves over the head. All I am saying is that God desires fellowship with us, so that our joy may be full. Jesus in John 15, and we might hit it today, we might not, but you know, you, you should read the Gospel of John, his Gospel account with his letters. Jesus was constantly talking about abiding in him, constantly talking about joy. Abiding, joy, and peace are his three predominant themes in those chapters, 14, 15, and 16, you know, coupled with the fact that he's going away to prepare a place, and he's coming back, which should cause us great joy. John talks about his coming back several times. Not only the fact that, that, that dwelling on that fact, that it's going to purify our lives, but to the fact that if we do that, we're not going to have reasons to have shame at his coming. You see that in, in verse 28. Now that causes a lot of problems for some people because, uh, well, you, it's evident by... Stupid bumper stickers that say Jesus is coming, boys, you pissed, or Jesus is coming, we better get ready, or Jesus is coming, we better act like we're busy. I mean, you've all seen them. 
But yet most of these are mocked by people that are false teachers and the spirit of Antichrist, which you also get into. Jesus wants us to be joyous in him. He wants us to have fellowship in the immediate with him, anticipating that, that fellowship face-to-face with him for eternity in his kingdom. That changes everything. You know, I don't want a God that I just can read about. I want a God that I can know. God is knowable. He is someone that says, I am knowable. I am personable. You can know me. That is a phenomenal concept. The world will say God cannot be known. That is false. Don't listen to it. That's the spirit of Antichrist. God can be known only, and this is where it gets very, very heated among the, the, uh, the masses of the world, so to speak. God can only be known through Jesus Christ. And that's why he will write in here about the eternal life. Jesus is the eternal life. There is no life apart from him. I can know God. I do know God. I know God. And it's through Jesus Christ. You want to really find out what the world says? Go out and ask them. Go out and ask them. The world will say, well, I'm not an atheist, some people. I'm not an atheist. I'm just an agnostic. Are we playing a semantical war here regarding eternal life? Are we playing a war here of semantics or, or in other words, of labels uh, to try to get away from that burning desire in our conscience that I need eternal life? That's what I was created for, is eternal life. And right now, I don't have it. Well, you know, it's impossible to know God. Don't get on me because, you know, it's impossible to know God like everybody else. You know, he may exist and he may not exist. But it's impossible to know him from not only experience, but it's impossible to know. I am an agnostic. No, you aren't. You are a denier of the truth. Does not make the truth any less the truth, but you are a denier of it. Because Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And this is where he's writing about. You know, John, uh, very early on in the, in the first couple chapters, he writes that to, to give us an understanding or a test, if you will, that we know him. We can know that we know him. He talks about our spiritual state. He talks about, you know, not loving the world, the things in the world. He also talks about the deception that's coming in this last hour, which what we're living in. You know, the greatest uh, thing that I have ever heard to simplify things, where there is the real thing, there is always a counterfeit. Where there is right truth, there is always deception that's going to come in to evade that truth. Those are just basic understandings of the Word of God and God Himself. So before we start this morning, is God knowable? Yes. Yes, he is. And that's the wonderment of Jesus Christ coming into the world. There was something that prevented me from knowing God, and that's called sin. Sin is separation. Sin prevented me from knowing God. Jesus came into the world 
to take away my sin so that I could know God and be with him forever. When Jesus came out of the grave, I heard this. You know what's amazing about this? Is, you know, sometimes it's redundant. People go, oh, geez, here he is. He's going to say the same thing again when Jesus came out of the grave. I heard it about three months ago by some, on the radio, some teacher from back east. He said almost the same thing because he was trying so desperately to make the people he was talking to understand. Jesus made an amazing thing when he came out of the grave. He says, you tell my disciples. And he didn't say this before he, before he went to the cross, but it, because he went to the cross and he settled that separation issue and he died for the sin of the world. He rose from the dead like he said he would. And he said, I'm going to my God and your God. I'm going to my father and your father. We can know God and have a relationship with God, and know Him because of Christ. Not because of anything else. Not because I'm super smart, or I'm a decent human being, or whatever. I know God solely because Jesus Christ went to the cross for me, died for my sin, went to the grave, rose three days later, and the body was crucified with, and he came out of the grave, and he said, literally, oh joy, by the way, you go tell them that I'm going to my God and now your God, because they believed in him. He was the Messiah. He died for our sins. He was buried, and three days later, he rose from the dead according to the scriptures. And we have no reason to ever be afraid. Wow. Last week we left off in chapter 2. I just want to start on uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 18, and we'll go real quick. We'll be in chapter 3 um, later on this morning. Look at look at 1 John chapter 2. Verse 18. Again, we talked about last week. This is the first occurrence of the word Antichrist in the New Testament. In the Bible, actually. Does this mean it's a new concept? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We, for example, we see the we see the Antichrist being called the beast and, and the desolator. It makes desolate in Daniel chapter nine, or excuse me, chapter seven and chapter nine. We see the kingdoms of the world being described in, in, in that whole uh, scenario of there's going to be one, and Jesus made the same uh, definition in. in I believe it's Matthew chapter 24 where he says, when you see the abomination of desolation as was spoken by Daniel the prophet. So this is not a new concept. This is something that as believers in Christ now, ones that have positions and are fellowship with him, John says, I'll tell you what, you know what? It's getting to be the last hour. And we know that it's the last hour. You know why? Because he says, little children, it is the last hour or the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. By this very reason you know it's the last hour. Jesus said, not only spiritual deception would, would, would capulate the last, the last time, the last hour, but there are many false prophets, many false messiahs, people you know, claiming that they're coming in his name and so forth. Who is this Antichrist? Last week we read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I don't really want to go there again, but, but if you want to read it for refreshing, Thessalonians chapter 2, 
verses 3 through 10, talk specifically about the Antichrist, and so on and so forth. But we know it's the last hour. Then he's talking about those who have, he's going to talk about the spirit of Antichrist. Let's just read down a little bit. Look at verse 19. And they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be manifested that they were none of us. Now, I had, one of my favorite things, and you all know now, is, is um, from this verse, I think C.I. Schofield um, hit it on the nail when he said the, the phrase went out from us. He says, that is doctrinally. And we'll see that as John gets into the rest of his letter here. He says, doubtless then and now the deniers of the Son of God still call themselves Christians. This is happening, folks, at an alarming rate today. Verse 20, but you, writing to Christians, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. We quoted 2 Corinthians chapter 1 last week. Simply Paul the Apostle says, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ, has anointed us, is God. Our anointing and our understanding doesn't come from denomination we are in, or how long we went to church, or whatever. Our anointing comes from him. He's the one that we're going to see in verse, uh, you know, and down in verse the verses apart uh, from this. I'm speaking especially of verse 27, but we're going, that he not only teaches us about all things, he not only teaches and brings all truth into our life, and teaches us things that Jesus had said, brings remembrance, but he also teaches us a very important fact, and that is to abide in Christ. To abide in him. We don't have any need of a teacher to say, you know what, you Christians out there, you're wild and crazy, you need to abide in him. God might use a teacher to say that, but God, the Holy Spirit, teaches us not only all things and leads us into all truth, as Jesus said, but he also teaches us to abide in him, to remain close to him. He establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us as God. Think about that. He establishes us in Christ. And has anointed us is a wonderful Bible teacher, a wonderful denomination. No, it's God who establishes us. Wow. Verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. We have an anointing. I think the King James Version uses unction. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. You know all things. John says, I don't write these things because you don't know the truth. He says, I'm writing to you because you do know the truth. He is enforcing upon them and encouraging them the love of God and Christ Jesus. But I want to warn you, there are some coming 
And as Paul says in Acts 20, and he's saying here, there are some coming that are going to pervert this. There are some coming that are going to try to throw another Jesus your way. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. And by the way, there's what they're calling the spirit of the Antichrist is coming. And I believe in all the writings that the word of God is multifaceted. Sure, we had a historicity of writings that have been dealing right and now. We went through that when we were going through the prophets. Okay, that happened right then and now. But also scripture, because it's an eternal word of God, talks to generations, it speaks. A lot of it will speak in past tenses if it was already done. For example, when Paul says in Romans chapter 8, for those he called, for those he predestined, those he called. For those he called, he also justified. For those he justified, he also glorified. So when we read the Bible... We look at it as literal sense, unless the context speaks of another sense, lest we fall in nonsense. We need to be intelligent as we look through the Word of God and to show ourselves approved. And I love the way John is writing in such simple understandings of not only are we in Christ, he's propitiation not only our sins back in chapter 2, verse 2. He's not only a propitiation for our sins, he's for the sins of the whole world. So watch when people come in and say, Jesus really didn't die for the whole world. He really only died for you or the elect. I'm just giving you examples. So now we're in, the, in part of this letter, and I love it. He said, he's been saying that he writes to us because we know the truth, not because we don't know it. So he's writing to believers. He's writing to those that are in Christ Jesus. Not to ones that, well, they're kind of casual passerbyers or the curious. That's what his first, the gospel account. Remember I was just started out by another quote, I love this, uh, by C.I. Schofield, how the gospel, according to John, leads us to the threshold of the Father's house, while his epistles make us at home there. It is absolutely wonderful. But we're in this time, little children, and we are now, that there's going to be those that are among us. How come we all can't get along? There's a song called, Why Can't We Be Friends? You know, why can't we be friends? You know, that's, that's... Why can't we all be friends? John would love us all to be friends. But you know what? The reality is, is you know, there's an enemy out there that is going to start is paving the way. The spirit of Antichrist has been here for 2,000 years. I hope I'm making sense. Verse 21, he says, I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And no lie is of the truth. Now he starts getting into his, his understanding of, of the spirit of man of Christ. Look at verse 22. Who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ he is Antichrist, or he is a Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. John defines the anti-Christian spirit of false prophets and false teachers by explaining that they deny that Jesus is the Christ. Their blatant rejection of him as the Messiah is also a rejection of his incarnate deity. The rejection of him as the Messiah is their blatant rejection of him 
as being God in human flesh. We talked about this last week as we have those group of people coming to your door quite often. They're called Jehovah's Witnesses, among many others. They deny that Jesus is the Christ. They'll call him Jesus Christ, but they will deny his Messiahship, which blatantly denies that he is God. Or they will call him the Messiah, but not believe that he is God. Jesus Christ is fully human and fully God. He had come in human flesh. There is no other way that you can take the writing and the way the sentence structure of the Word of God is. Again, their blatant rejection of him as the Messiah or the Christ is also a rejection of his incarnate deity. In other words, him being God clothed in human flesh. So who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is an antichrist and denies the Father and the Son. Look at verse 23. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Listen to these words by Jesus himself. That all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. We talked about this a little bit. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father, which has sent him. That was in John 5.23. He also makes this statement in John 15.23. He that hates me, hates my Father also. John says in John 2, or 2 John verse 9, Whoever transgress and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ has not God. He that abides in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. The doctrine of Christ is that unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sin. The arm of the Lord has been revealed. Who has believed our report? Isaiah says. To whom the arm of the Lord has been revealed. And then he goes along in his discourse explaining why the arm of the Lord was revealed. He was bruised because of our transgressions. All of us like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord laid the iniquity of us all upon him. Can't you see the pervading influence of the denial of Jesus Christ in the world? And we see it today in a number of, of ways. Let me just read a few passages, and I'm not... I'm just going to read them to reinforce what we've been saying. Oh, how God doesn't want you to be deceived. How he wants you to be able to recognize the, the phony and see it on the horizon. Jesus said, if you had known me, you have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. This is when Philip was asking him, Lord, show us the Father. It'll be sufficient for us. And Jesus said, listen to this. Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? How can you say it? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work So he's John saying, who's the liar? Who denies the Son does not have the Father also. 
You mean, does that mean that the nice people that come to my door that denies that Jesus is God in human flesh, they don't have the Father also? Yes. Does that mean they're eternally lost? Yes. Absolutely. I don't care how cultured they may be. Look at verses 24. Again, this is so important. This section of the Word of God, I believe, is so important. It is all important, but if we understand this, we are going to go on and see in chapter 3, verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Then he's going to go on that chapter and another test, how we can see the children of God versus the children of the devil. How the children of God practice righteousness and the children of the devil practice lawlessness. And the Christian life is so intricately, uh, that he is so intricately involved in, in our life. I want to stop here real quick and, and have you told the, have you told the Lord Jesus you loved him this morning? Have you thanked him for being, his mercies being new every morning and great is his faithfulness? How many times from verse 24 to 29 we see the word abiding? Let's get into this. I want to read you some words from, from Theodore F. Wow. This, uh, this guy was a, uh, a big Bible teacher way back in the day on the uh, back of the Bible broadcast out of Lincoln, Nebraska. And if you've ever got a chance to hear any of those, uh, they were just absolutely wonderful. He says, the question of who is a true believer and who is a pretender is tested from the standpoint of doctrine. The name Christ indicated that Jesus is the anointed, the eternal Son of God. His eternal existence and his power are implied in this name. In other words, Christ is the eternal God who came in flesh. The name Jesus, meaning Savior, emphasized his humanity. Many people will acknowledge a historical Jesus they will admit he lived in the world and gave account and great claim to his teaching, but they deny that he was and is the eternal God. Such persons are not born-again Christians. They left the fundamental doctrine of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say that there is no spiritual life in anyone until he or she trusts Christ as personal Savior. He says in conclusion, these false teachers will deny the necessity of the new birth and claim that all people have to do is to follow Jesus as an example. John 3.3, Jesus says to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unquote. Let me tell you folks, the spirit of Antichrist is everywhere. We are the ones that are of lesser advantage who want to stick our head in the sand and not realize that it, it can't be that bad. And by the way, let me, let me quote something here. When I talked about that debate earlier, I am by no means debating, or, or not debating, but uh, defrauding or slandering anything, anybody. Don't, please don't get me wrong about any of that. I am not the judge. What I am simply trying to put before you is that there, the spirit, that is another spirit other than the word of God, is, is floundering around. We are going, when we get to chapter 4, John's going to address this as well. My little children, that's you and I. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but 
test the spirits or or try the spirits, if you will, whether they ever are, are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. John is saying, children, it is the last time. Okay? In other words, we aren't in the sandbox and, and we have we have eons to wait. It is the last time. We're, we're in a, a area, the Bible uses an explicit language of last time. Okay? We have the last days, we have the last time, we have we have certain Seasons or epochs, Jesus said the same thing went to the disciples when he's about ready to ascend. It's not up to you to know the times of the season that's left to the Father. So we have different areas. But John is using this, this is the last hour as an exclusive understanding that we are in the last days and in a battle here. And as time goes on, I want you to understand what the spirit of Antichrist is really all about. Let's get down to the nitty gritty of it. It's not the fact that they have a different view of the rapture. It's not the fact that they have a different view of the heavens and the earth or whatever. The fact is in the core of the issue, and if you want to find out what I'm saying, talk to Jehovah's Witnesses, and if you stay on the core of Jesus Christ, you have won the argument in the sight of truth because they cannot stay on the core of Jesus Christ. Nobody can outside of Christ. All religions crumble outside of Christ. All of them. And that's what John is saying here. You want to know what the Spirit is that's pervading? And you know, the deceitfulness of sin will take this core issue of Jesus not being the Christ. And they will they will set it up, and they will dress it up, and they will make it look good. And, and next thing you know, you're going, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Where is this coming from? It's all a denial of the fact that Jesus is the Christ. And it's coming rapidly. Hence, again... Peter's admonition to, with reverence and fear, be able to give somebody a reasonable hope of the, of the, you know, a reason for the hope that lies within you. Look at verse 24. Therefore let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Father and in the Son. Again, abide and abide appears six times in these few short verses. Abide in what you've heard from the beginning. When Paul, by the way, Galatians was his first epistle. Right away, what does he address? Falsity. But first, he lines it with truth. Paul, an apostle, not from men or through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren are with me. The church is glad to grace to you in peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. Who has believed our report? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Isaiah says, Paul goes on to say, He gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the, to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. I marvel that you are turning away from so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who would trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven Preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you. Let him be accursed. Amenathea. 
As we have said before, so now I say again, for emphasis, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Let that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. Not only the gospel of Jesus Christ and the truth you have said that will set apart you from the spirit of Antichrist, but Christ himself, as we will see about abiding in him in verse 27. You see, you cannot separate the, the word of God from Christ. That's why we've always said in this ministry, the way you treat the word of God is the way you treat Christ. It's one and the same. Christ is the living word. The the. The written word speaks so eloquently of him in the truth. And we know Christ by the word of God. Nobody comes to salvation by hearing, by hearing by the word of God. If we believe in our heart, John chapter 10, and confess Jesus with our mouth, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we shall be what? Saved. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. It is a precedent all through the word of God. So if we are abiding, abiding means to comfortably make our home there. That's what Jesus said when he says, if you believe in me, our, me and my Father will come and make our abode there. It is an abiding. It is a staying still. As my dad used to say when we used to go on duck blinds, I was three, probably four and five. He was very young. He used to go duck home with me and look at me and say, just stay put. Christians, stay put. So he says again, verse 24, Abide three times. Therefore let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Father and the Son, just like Jesus said. He who has the Son has the Father also. Look at verse 25. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. Eternal life. Again, only life in heaven with Christ is called eternal life. Life in hell is never called eternal life, ever. Eternal life is that quality of life given by the Son of God alone. Alone. Now, if people want to call me narrow-minded, then you know what? That's exactly what I am. Because that's what I believe. And it has abided in me ever since I've, I've un, I heard it. Understood the word of God in truth. Colossians chapter 1 verse 6 says, Since I've understood this, that fruit has been abiding. The grace of God in truth. This is a promise. That he's promised us eternal life. Uh, wait a minute. I know, man. All right. There's another semantical war here. God only promises this if. Is that the scripture? I mean, we're a small group here. Does God say, I only promise you eternal life if? God promises eternal life based on the completed work of Christ and Christ alone. Jesus Christ went to the cross, died for my sin, was buried, took my sin away. That's the idea of reconciliation involved in propitiation. In other words, it's the separation from the sin and the sinner. Christ separated, he took my sin, and he gave to me his righteousness. So now instead of being full of sin, awaiting judgment, I'm full of righteousness, anticipating my wonderful Lord coming for me. 
That's as plain as I can make it. That's the children of God versus the child that is that is outside of Christ, heading for judgment. Let that abide in you. Stay put. Because he's promised us eternal life. These things I have written to you, verse 26, to you concerning those who try to deceive you. Okay? So again, uh, last week and this week, we've really uh, tried to really dig into the fact that he, he's going to end this by saying, I've written these things to you because there's going to be those out there that are going to try to deceive you. Many deceivers have gone out of the world. John, I can't wait to meet this man. It is amazing what God will do through, through a humble servant of his. He writes in 2 John 7, he says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. And then he goes on to say, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ, as before, does not have God. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, or as the King James says, I love or bit of Godspeed. This is serious. This is not just, oh, well, that's what you believe. This is serious stuff. This is the Word of God. This is what our what our, our being born again is all about. Our growing in Christ. No wonder Paul says in Ephesians 4 that we've, we have these certain teachers and God institutes the church so that we may grow up. And what does he say? So that we might not be swayed by every wind of doctrine. Wow. He's going to go on to say, again, not only these things I've written to you concerning those who try to deceive you, he goes on to explain, 27, but the anointing which you have received of him abides in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and it is not a lie, just as it has taught you, you shall abide in him. Again, Jesus says in John 14, But the help of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. He says again for reiteration, John 16, 13, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Does truth matter? Yes. It's between life or death. You know, I, I, I just want to say that I think it's very important that we realize that this involves, this will permeate all of life, which I will say this uh, as a gateway into verse three or in chapter three, which we'll be spending time in as well, we read in John chapter three that about the 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 child of God does righteousness. 
the child of, of the devil doesn't do righteousness. There's a reason for that. But about this chapter's anointing, that we not only have any, you know, need of nobody teaches, but to, but, to, but he teaches us. He also teaches us to abide in Christ. But I, I simply said again, and it's clear from this passage, that the Holy Spirit teaches us to abide in Christ. And it's the importance. This goes on to explain what Paul says in Ephesians 5, the importance of being filled with the Spirit. This is an obvious importance. This is an obvious doctrine to be filled with the Spirit, to abide because this spirit-filled life, it's, it's profitable. Again, uh, it's profitable in practical ways. It's profitable, for example, for husbands, remember this, to truly love their wives as Christ loves the church. How do I do that? That is a huge undertaking. I cannot love my wife as Christ loved the church. What kind of burden is that putting on me? Yeah, in and of myself, you're right. I cannot. I cannot. But with the love of Christ and abiding in Christ and the Spirit teaching me all things and empowering me, as we'll see, how I don't have to obey sin and He empowers me with a new life infused in me. Guess what? I have the love of Christ. Now I have the opportunity to show the love of Christ to my wife. It's practical ways. What's more practical than that? It also shows that the wife can truly now submit to her husband. And they can both walk in Jesus Christ. The Bible doesn't say that I'm sitting here. The, the Bible talks about a husband and wife as a, a, a husband bringing along a believing wife. Now it's, it's possible for the husband to show Christ to his wife. It's possible for the wife to submit to her husband so that they mo- both can walk in Jesus Christ. It's practical in the way that we can truly please the Father, knowing what pleases Him. It's truly possible now to be victorious over this, over this life, especially in spiritual warfare. And my last example, which there could be hundreds of them, that's, I'm doing a poor example by, by listing only a few, but we can finally again, brethren, be the kind of ambassadors for Christ that is well-pleasing to God. The implications of abiding in Jesus Christ are absolutely imperative to know our position and our function here in this world. My brethren, the time is short. I'm warning you, there are many spirits of Antichrist. Even the Spirit himself teaches you, you will abide in Christ, in the truth. And this will have consequences that reaches far beyond the four walls of your church. So having said that, he, he ends in verse 28, 29. And now, little children, abide in him. And when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, like I said last week, I would have started chapter 3 here. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. If we know that he's righteous, we also know that everyone who practices this is born of him. It's just natural. I love this one who I am infused in. I love this one who is 
who has died for my sin to bring me to himself. I love this one who loves me unashamedly. I want to be like him. It's just, and, and, and by the way, his life is in me. I am a possessor of everlasting life. He's not only promised it to me, he has given me everlasting life. Is it not logical that I would abide in him and practice the righteous kind of life that he desires? The Bible says elsewhere by the Apostle Paul that any so-called brother who says to you, I'm a brother and yet practices all these kinds of wicked, have nothing to do with them. Not that they, we would say we got to get away from the world because the world's full. No, he said, if I meant that, that need you would go have to go out of the world. He says, I'm talking about a brother, a so-called brother that says this and that practices distortion, adultery, and all these other things have nothing to do with them. It is illogical. Now we start separating the the, uh, the understanding. Does that mean that that? I don't real. I realize now for the first time. Maybe some of you realize how much Jesus Christ wants to be your all in all. He's not just a part of your life. He is your life, and that's a mistake. I think that the Christian Church is going to be held accountable for. We're teaching one well, Jesus. He's a part of my life. Oh God. Oh yeah. I'm 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 a believer. He's a he's a big part of my life. It's like we have the opportunity. He's a big part of my life. Gosh, I, I, I have made a big room for him. No, if you are a Christian, he is your life. Let's get the knowledge of that. And that's what Romans chapter 6, for example, is all about. We've died with Christ. You know, that's what Paul was saying in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. That's the Christian life. It's not just a profession that we go our merry way. It, it is a life to be lived because our life that is dead in sin is no longer, but our life that's full of righteousness and eternal life, which is life indeed. Okay, you have Johnny over here that has no life in himself. He's dead in his sins. He's headed towards judgment. He, no matter how hard, like Jeff Graham before he was 22 years old, tried to grasp life, he was still dead in life. I don't care how jovial, how whatever, he's still void of life. He's headed for two things, judgment and hell. And then you get, then you get Johnny over here that becomes born again. Johnny over here is now the recipient of eternal life. It is only logical that Johnny would live the life that he's recipient of now. Then that's what we're talking about here. We're going to know point blank. I have had many times, not many times, many times I say that because one time's too much, but I've had a few times in my life where uh, my wife and I have experienced this, where we have wanted to sit under people that claim to be Christians, and after a while we say, wait a minute, something's wrong here. Your life does not exhibit at all what you proclaim to profess. Now, I can't judge. We cannot judge whether somebody's born again or not. We can't judge the motives of the heart. We are not the judge. But Jesus did say, you'll know them by their fruit. And Paul does say, if there's any so-called brother that lives this way, whatever, you know what? Don't have any, any room for him. You know, wise men will choose wise men. Choose your friends carefully, the Bible says. So, as a precedent laid down, we can know, for example, it is only logical that we would live in the one and imitate the one and have the desires of the one that we abide in. 
The problem is, Christian, do you know that you abide in Christ? Do you know that he desires it? You know, I'll, uh, I'll be honest with you. I think that uh, when I read verse 28, I realize that Jesus is so looking forward to his reception of you to himself that it, compel, it pales in comparison to how much we want to be with him. He is so desirous that he would bring us to himself. I think you see that perfectly in John 14, the first three or four verses. He is so expectant on finishing that work in the Father's house and coming back to get us. He is so expectant of that. You know, uh, there is many times, and you can, you can look at this in the married realm, when you do something for your spouse and you finish it and complete it, what, what is your reaction? You want them with you. You want them to be whole. You want them to, under, to see you and just be overjoyed. That is what Christ, he is longing to come back to the house. He is preparing a place for us. His Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. And if I go away, guess what? I'm going to come back and receive you unto myself. That You will be with me forever. He is desiring that. So much desiring that. And, and we've talked about before, uh, when we did the message before on, on, on the judgment seat of Christ, it's not something that God expounds on so that we would be horrified. It's something I believe that is, it, we should look forward to the anticipation because we abide in Christ. We, we want to be pleasing to Him. We don't want to shrink away at His coming, as the NASB says, which I, I like the word, or ashamed. Because we know that everyone that is in him is righteous, or does righteousness, because he is righteous. Verse 29. You know, there's something about living life in its ultimate capacity. Let me tell you something. Solid, constant, intimate abiding in Jesus Christ safeguards us from being ashamed at his coming and his appearing for us, his bride. Simply stated, the proof of our profession, brethren, is in the life we live. The proof of our profession is in the life that we live. You know, remember how our, our understanding of, of the uh, of a Jewish wedding fits perfectly, by the way, with, with uh, what we call the rapture of the catching away of the saints, Christ coming back to receive his own. And how the the bridegroom goes and builds that, that addition on the Father's house. And I'm sure he's doing it, well, he's doing it for the one he loves. He's doing it for his betrothed. 
Everything's perfect. He completes it. He's coming back. And he goes with his delegation of, of, of men before him, his wedding party, if you will. I happen to believe they're angels, but you know what? Does it matter? He's coming back for us. He goes up to the up to the house, not quite in it, but up to the house of, of, of the to be bride, and she comes out to meet him. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the bride coming out to meet him, not not really expecting him or doing something? No, she comes out in anticipation and meets him. And he is there overjoyed because they are one. The Bible says that we are one spirit with the Lord, Paul says in Corinthians. And, and that joy, that anticipation is there. And then he takes us to the Father's house. Man, <laughs> there is nothing better than that. I have just touched the surface of what it means to be a Christian. Uh, I cannot wait to see the Lord. That is going to be um, something that, well, purifies my life. It just does. If I know that Jesus Christ longs to see me, and longs to bring me to the Father's house. And he is God. How much more me being flesh. Who realized the predicament I was in. I had no life. I had no life. I was dead in sin. I was a pre talking about being a prisoner. You know, we all have watched movies about men that are in these slave labor camps. Right? That are working at it. That... That work and work and work. That's the idea of sin. That's what's abiding on the unsaved person day in and day out. That's their life. And they think they have freedom. They're shackled in sin to the point where uh, there's no life in them. They are headed for judgment. And Christ came and I have life and life abundantly. And now he's coming back for me and for you. Is it not logical that John would say, my little children... Abide in him. So when he does appear, oh. for those that have not, that are listening, that have not been born again, that don't understand what this Christian life is all about, you'll never understand what this Christian life is all about unless you come to the one who is the Christian life. The one who came and died to show us what God not only is like, but to fulfill the scriptures that God was going to take care of the sin issue. That God was going to once and for all take the sin from the sinner of those that will, that will turn to him and come to him as a savior of their soul. There is only one way to God, and that's Jesus Christ, not many, only one. Beware of the spirit of Antichrist that is everywhere. There is only one way to God, and that is by Jesus Christ. 
Jesus of Nazareth was both fully human, he was fully God, he was clothed in human flesh that he might walk this earth, live a life pleasing to his Father, being the perfect sacrifice for you, the innocent substitute, dying for the unjust or the uninnocent, becoming sin on your behalf, and three days later he rose from the dead in that same body and declared to the world that your sins are gone. You just turn to me and receive the forgiveness that I paid for, and everlasting life is yours, and the promise of it is yours. And I will promise it, because I only rose from the dead, proving that I am who I claim to be. I rose from the dead, proving that God the Father is satisfied with me dying in your place. But I will also prove it by sending the Holy Spirit to dwell within you, in making you a new creation. And the Holy Spirit is a seal, saying, you are mine. No more will be shackled with sin. No more are we heading for judgment. No more are we looking to a Christless eternity where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth because Jesus Christ has become my sin bearer and he has clothed me with his righteousness. He has put a robe upon me and said, Welcome. And he is called the God who created everything, my Father. And by coming to Christ... We have eternal life. And Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the the message that you have for us out of your word. I pray that you would move away the, the, the muddled edges that I put there and that the word of God will come clean and come pure and come direct. That will minister to those who need it, encourage those who need it, and instruct those who need it. I thank you that you've given your life, Lord Jesus, that we might have life. Thank you for clothing us in your righteousness so we can stand before God and know whether whether we live another 20, 30, 40 years, or whether we die tonight, we are God's because of what you've done. I ask that you would take these truths and minister them and, and cause growth, Father, in those who need it. Not only growth possibly to new life, but to others growth that already have new life. That they would realize that this Christian life is, is exciting. It's wonderful. It's full of truth. And I pray that we would learn to love one another. And I thank you again for this time, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Now that's the gateway of to, to chapter three. If we understand this and we, we and we link chapter or verse twenty-nine to, to the rest of that chapter, we start understanding here that there is a a life that is lived that is indicative of one that is abiding in Christ. One that is doing his business and abiding in him, being filled with the Spirit, being the ambassadors that, that is well-pleasing to God. You know that he's righteous because we've been to the beginning. We know him who is from the beginning. Isn't that what this Bible what first started out? Look at chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen in their eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifest and we have seen and bear witness. 
and declare to you that eternal life, which is with the Father and was manifested to us. And he goes right into the fact of fellowship. Look at that. From verse 2 into verse 3. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you may also have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And these things will write to you that your joy may be full. That's what abiding in Christ is, brethren, having fellowship with God. Intimate, close, union, fellowship with God. He never leaves you or forsakes you. Everything you do, you do. That's well-pleasing to Him. You'd be, you be the type of person that He redeemed you to be. If you know, verse 29, that He is righteous... You know, it's the same language. If, if you have problems understanding, well, wait a minute. If you know, look at how Paul starts out. Uh, we just read it, Colossians chapter 3. If then. It's not going, well, really, are you really? No, it's saying, if the fact you are, then live this way. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices Oh, I did my good deed for the day. That's not what this means. As the, as the child without Christ, still in his sins, governed by the old sinful nature, there's no other way he can walk but adversely. Now that the one who's controlled and filled with the Spirit of God, there's no other way he can walk other than righteously. There is, a, there is an avenue that we must understand. Right and wrong, true and false. Abide in Him, brethren. Make it your aim. Make Him your first love. Run the race as if to win. Because all are running it, whether they, whether they think it or not. They're all attaining something. I was reading about Nirvana the other day. The state of, uh, to a, a Hindu uh, and so forth. It's a state of, well, first of all, they say they get to that state, a blissful state, it's a state of nothingness, where the pleasure and and, uh, and hurt and everything else are, are nil. It's a state of nothingness. They will go and have thousands of gods to acquire this state. They will listen to all these, all these uh, men of the East that claim to be men of God, God-men, and all these things, all these philosophies and all that but they can never, ever answer the sin issue. They can never deal with the real problem. But we know what the truth is. Because we let that abide in us that was from the beginning. We know the truth. And Jesus said the truth will set you free. And Father, I thank you for this message this morning. Lord, I pray that as those that listen to it, think about it, well, they would search the scriptures to see if what you say is true. What they've heard is true. I pray that we all listen with eager anticipation, but that we would go more eagerly with more anticipation back to your word and search the scriptures to see if these things are so. I thank you for the love 
Even sometimes we don't think about it. We don't understand it. We don't dwell upon it. We forget about it. But Lord, you never forget about us. You are loving us beyond imagination. And Father, by that understanding, I want to know your word. I want to know Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. Being conformed unto his death. Not that I've obtained anything now, but I this I do. Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Some people think, and some people might have this grasping of this truth for the first time. I pray that we would listen to the Spirit of God as He teaches us Your Word. And I thank You for it. I thank You for this day, Father, and I praise You in Jesus' name. Amen. Cam wants to...